In the holy name of Jesus, amen. Good versus evil. You are all familiar with it. You know the two battling sides. You've all grown up maybe in the 70s and 80s, maybe even later in life. You all know about Star Wars, the Empire versus the Rebels. You've all seen the old-time movies about World War II and Vietnam and other things, the Allied Forces versus the Nazis. Maybe even today you've gotten all wrapped up in the arguments of good versus evil, blurring our political state. Democrats versus Republicans, Republicans versus Democrats. I think they're both bad in my mind. Good versus evil, it is easy to do. And in our day and age, you can publicly see people who have ruined their lives. And then, when we look at our own selves and our own sins, we say, I'm not that bad. We live in a world full of people making mistakes. It doesn't even need to be plastered on the news. It's all over social media, Twitter, and all of these other places. Those people who make mistakes, famous or ordinary, have their sins broadcast far and wide, for all to see and for you to judge. Then there's your own life. Good versus evil. Marriages that are blessed by God and His Word and yet cursed by the evil of the husband or the wife. Good versus evil. Technology versus interacting with fellow human beings. Good versus evil. Pride of ourselves versus pride in your neighbor. There was, in the 20th century, a Roman Catholic priest who was a theologian who wrote many things. His name was Hans Ernst von Balthasar. I love that name. He was a Swiss Roman Catholic priest and a theologian, and he summarized this whole good versus evil in two different terms. He says there is the ego drama versus the theo drama. The ego drama is all about myself. I write my own play. I get to pick out who is the main character, which is me. I get to select who is in my play. I get to decide where the play is going to go, how it begins, where it's at in the middle, and how it ends. The theodrama is God's play, but his play is not to sit there and say, here's another alternative. His play and his plan is to disrupt your play, your ego drama, and mine as well. God's whole plan is to get me off the stage and to take over with his drama, his will that has been revealed to us. This is what we hear of in our gospel reading today, the Pharisee and the tax collector. Ego drama versus theodrama. Yeah, but pastor, we're Christians. We know about these dangers and so forth. But make no mistake. 
good versus evil as even in this place as it is in the church throughout the world. I don't think I need to remind you that the church has a very tarnished reputation. And you and I haven't added to making it cleaner. It seems so many ways today that it is an us versus them. Us as Christians versus the nasty people of the world. Christians against non-Christians. Or even in this place, regular attendees, regular volunteers, regular supporting people versus those who might show up once a year, put a couple bucks in the plate and say, thanks but no thanks, I don't want to serve. I mean, there are those of us here who might say, well, I'm here every week. I give 10% of my income. I love everybody around me. I would never be like them, but I am a good person. I'm on time to church. I'm on some boards. I'm doing way more than others. I'm standing in the pulpit. I'm doing Bible class. I'm meeting with people and praying with them. It falls onto me as well. Scripture says concerning good versus evil, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, And just as they did not see, see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a depraved mind to do things that are not proper, people having been filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, and evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips and slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful. Inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unfeeling, and unmerciful. Although they know the ordinance of God, they are Christians, that those who practice such things are worthy of death. They not only do the same, but they approve the practice of them as well. That whole long list describes us. We know these things. We know good versus evil. We know what the scriptures say, but I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to sit there and say what it is that God has given us in his word. But in the same sense, I'm certainly not going to be as bad as others are. Good versus evil. Two men went to the temple a.k.a. the church, one trusting in himself and the other despairing of himself and broken down, only trusting in the Lord. The Pharisees were people who were highly regarded. They knew their Bible. They were well-regarded laity within the context of the church that were serving and giving and doing all sorts of things, they were leaders in the temple. People looked at them as good, upstanding Christians. But then there's the dirtbag tax collector. You know, 
the IRS. How can anything good come out of the IRS, you might say? He's the one that shouldn't even really be in church. He's the one that probably doesn't realize what he's doing. He's the corrupt one who just wants to take away people's hard-earned money. Good versus evil. Jesus says only one of them went home as righteousness. What does this mean? Appearances can be deceiving. We sang a couple of hymns just now. From depths of woe I cry to thee. That pastor, that's not very motivating. Right. This shows us our sin, shows us where we are. Oh, how great is your compassion. We are in need of this compassion because we seem to be all about ourselves pushing down each other so we can get our way. Good versus evil, church. Who do you want in this place sitting next to you? Maybe in your beloved pew. It hurts, I know. Who do you want here? Who do you want to see in this place? Good little Christian attitude might say, well, we want everybody, but when somebody walks in that's a little uneasy around us or us around them, pastor, we want to introduce you to a visitor today rather than us immersing ourselves in the lives of others. Do you realize that that is the primary reason that most attendees and members of church stay away from the church? You know how many times I have talked to lifelong Christians who have been broken down by their addictions, by their sinful behavior, by their brokenness, and I have constantly tried to invite them back to the church, and they have constantly told me, well, pastor, I have to get my life together before I come to church. Why? Because they think all of you have your life together. That's why one of the worst things we can say to somebody who shows up after a long time being away, say, saying to them, Hey, where have you been? Why haven't we seen you? Rather than welcoming them with open arms back into the fold. Why? People are ashamed of what they've done. They're embarrassed by what they have done. They don't live up to the quote-unquote churchgoer of today. This is nothing new for us today. If you go to some really old cemeteries, particularly by churches, you will see the Christians who are buried, and typically someplace further away from the church, you will see those who are buried away from the church because they committed suicide. What exactly does that mean for us? What did it mean for those of the past? What does this mean for us today as we move forward? Jesus tells us, be merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful. What does that mean? It's very simple. 
you have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You've been forgiven each other of, of your sins. And the reality is we go out as a people of mercy. It's a very simple method for living out this mercy. Stop judging. Stop looking at each other in the church and outside of the church because you do not know the inner struggles people are facing. You don't know. 99% of the time when you are interacting with somebody that you disagree with and you're angry with, you don't see the baggage that they're carrying. You don't see the abuse. You don't see the things that they have faced throughout life that they're caring about, carrying all throughout their lives. Yet we will sit there and say, I'm not going to show mercy. I'm not going to be affiliated with them. Good versus evil. Ouch. Pastor, it's true. I cannot tell you how true it is today, even for myself. How much have we gotten so intertwined with ourselves, our technology? How much have we ignored everybody as simple human beings created in the image of God? How much have we ignored what this place is to be all about? place where people who are burdened with sin, not just you, but others, who are gathered in order to be healed, to be given comfort, to be given mercy, to be given restoration. Good versus evil. If you are sitting here today so guilty, so ashamed of what you have said or done, not only to each other, but even with yourself. If you are so fearful that God is going to be one who strikes you down for all of your sins, then this place is for you. It is absolutely for you. You in the corner, ashamed, whose life seems to be an irredeemable train wreck, you whose prayers are filled with tears, whose prayers are broken and short-sighted, whose tears and sorrow cannot be stopped, who cannot get ahead in life on your own and even when others abandon you. This place is for you. Good versus evil. You might have noticed I've been repeating that. Well, now I'm going to change it back to what Balthazar really meant. Good versus evil is really God versus you. Luther says it very well. Our enemies are sin, the devil, and my own flesh. Me, myself and I, the unholy trinity. God versus you. How dare we point the accusing finger at those who are even humbled by the Lord. By the way, that sorrow, that humbling, that true repentance, that humility is a gift from God. The feeling of guilt, of shame, of not being able to pull yourself out by yourself is a gift from God. If you are brought low, if you are burdened, 
don't simply reject these feelings and stamp them down by some sort of technology or other sort of entertainment or even looking at yourself and how you can better yourself. The gifts of sorrow, the gift of shame, the gift of guilt can be turned into joy by the forgiveness of sins, the restoration of God, Him taking you and crucifying you with Jesus and resurrecting you in Jesus so that you might have His mercy and His righteousness. That is why we are here. That's why I'm here. Good versus evil is made all good in baptism. Sins are drowned away. New life is given and restoration is given. This is what God continues to do for you through His Word. And though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you walk in the shadow of Jesus' cross where He has made everything that is evil good for you. The fruits of that cross are laid before you here today to forgive you and to strengthen you in this faith. But that faith is not simply between you and God. It's between one another as well. God's mercy, God's mercy given to you is not like the mercy that I begged my brother to give me when he was twisting my arm in that silly little game. You know that game, mercy. God's mercy has blood attached to it. God's mercy can only be given to you by the shedding of blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness, the scriptures say. And so that is exactly what he gives to you today, strengthening you in the faith and in fervent love toward one another. You are changed. You're a people of mercy. You're a people of love and peace. But that's not all the 60s love and peace. This is all Jesus in and with you. As you go out and as you look at each other, whether at the grocery store in their cubicle next to you or even here at the church, because of Jesus' blood and mercy, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. As Paul says, all of your good works have been given to you since the foundation of the world. You don't need to come up with them. He gives them to you so that you may walk in them. All of us are outcasts, myself being that chief one amongst you because I'm up here today, but we have all been brought in. This is a place where the rejected of the world are loved, where the broken, crying sinners have their tears wiped away. The least, the last, and the losers in the game of life, if that is you, this place is for you. But none of this should be surprising to us. We follow and love the Lord Jesus Christ, who himself was rejected by the world, crucified, rejected for loving the outcast, rejected for healing the lame, rejected for raising the dead, rejected for being the very son of the living God, being the light of light and your mercy, poured out by his blood, poured out on the ground, 
not for cursing, but for blessing. If you trust in yourself, if it's all about me, myself, and I, and your ego, you have nothing. If there is trust in the Lord, you have everything. Who should we mimic today in the gospel reading? Shout aloud the tax collector's prayer. I like that. I came up with that this week. It's not the sinner's prayer. It's the tax collector's prayer. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. As he changes you, you now become merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful. You now have received not the distinction of good versus evil. You receive good and good. Because Jesus takes on our sin, our evil, and blesses you with his righteousness. He has given you his mercy. By his spirit, you are now able to be merciful to others because his goodness and mercy pursue you all the days of your life. Now and until you dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now poured out daily and richly for you because his blood speaks on your behalf. Forgive them for they know not what they do. You are restored. You are declared holy, innocent, righteous, blameless, and good in his sight. All by the blood of Jesus Christ. To Christ alone be the glory forever and ever. Amen.